You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go-to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm so excited to have my TikTok mutual, Lindsay. Welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my goodness. For anyone who hasn't seen your neon cowboy boot, disco ball, butter, bread loaf, amazingness, oysters. I'm like thinking of all the the subject matter that you've painted that I'm obsessed with. Um, Can you tell us who you are, what you do, and kind of a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Lindsay Cherrick-Waller. I am a queer non-binary artist based in the rural Midwest. I'm a multidisciplinary artist, but I mostly focus on painting and I focus on queer joy as well. Oh, and it's so beautiful, colorful, amazing. Like it's all the colors that I love. I'm in Southern California. So I feel like I'm really oh, drawn yeah. to really bright and loud and a little bit of like a vintage flair. And I found your work on TikTok and I was obsessed from the get-go and then yes, purchased, purchased prints for all my sisters for Christmas. So now we each have a, one uh, piece of yours in our oh. homes and we're all like loving it. And the breadwinner one I had sent to my sister when you first posted it because she Love loves that. Casey Musgraves and has like gone to her concert and stuff. And I was like, you need this for your house. And she's like, yes, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then oh, I bought it amazing. for her. <laughs> um, but tell us a little bit about how you got started as a fine artist and maybe start from like TikTok going backwards if we can. Um, Cause I'm super interested in your TikTok origin story as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So I started posting on TikTok during the pandemic. I feel like that's a pretty common thing. Uh, I found TikTok then uh, out of boredom because Instagram just like wasn't doing it for me. Um, so I started just like sharing everything about what I do, like my art process, the painting process, who I am on TikTok. And I was lucky enough to find a lot of people that like vibed with it. So yeah, TikTok is great to just like share who I am and like what I do. But before that, Instagram was like the main platform for sharing my work and selling work too. I like used Instagram before I even had a website to sell my work, like just like story sales and stuff. Uh I'm so uh DIY. Um, But yeah, I've always been super DIY. Uh, I come from like very humble beginnings and like middle of nowhere. I didn't have access to the art world growing up. So I was just like, I have to figure this out on my own, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I started my business like formally in like 2020, like 2019, 2020, but I was like selling out of my own small shared studio space before that. And like through to friends on Instagram, but yeah, I just like, I don't know. I've always been an artist. It's always like a thing that has been intuitive and just like I really had no other choice but to just be an artist. Sure. That was going to be my next question was like, how long before the TikTok and the business like formation did you like, how long ago were you like, oh, this is what I want to do as a career? (laughs) It sounds wild, but like I was three years old when I I knew I was three. I was a tiny human, Um, but I was like raised in this really amazing family of like entrepreneurs and uh, I had an amazing support system for my parents and cousins and just like a close family that really believed in me, even though they didn't really knew, they didn't know what it meant to be an artist, but they knew that I could do it. So they never doubted me. 
Okay, so we have that in common. My family's also super entrepreneurial. My mom started a business with no experience when she was in her like mid 30s. And then yeah. basically my parents did like a 180 where my dad was like working dad and stay at home mom. And then it was working mom, stay at home dad. And that's yes. such a cool experience as a young person because I got to have like a stay at home mom as a little kid. And then I got to see my mom like totally come into her own as like a businesswoman. Yes. And like now run an interior design firm of like 16 people. Like it's oh so cool. That's so, so then cool. that's that's the kind of encouragement that you don't even know is encouragement because you forget that 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 when it's your parents or it's your family, like you forget that other people don't have those kind of role models or examples, right? Like right. I remember asking my parents, like, what's an invoice? Like I had no <laughs> yeah. idea. I was like, yeah. I have no idea what that means. What kind of businesses do your families own? Well, my immediate family, like my mom and dad, it was pretty like basic rural life. So my mom was a stay at home mom until um, I left and went to college. And then she was like a lunch lady, which is adorable. And my dad was that. like a tree service professional. But cool. um, before that, my first 16 years of life, my grandmother owned a restaurant in Amazing. a very, very tiny town in Wisconsin. And I was raised in that. So my first job was like dishwashing at 13 years old and like busing tables. And my mom was like waitressing there on the weekends. And it was just an amazing experience. And she, my grandmother taught me, I think like everything that I needed to know about just like owning it, you know, and being yeah. somebody of service and kindness and, um, yeah, she was like, she's always been a major inspiration to me. It's this saying that no matter what you do, everyone's in the business of helping people. Mm -hmm. Of like, whether you're selling a product or a service or you're an artist, like you're still in the business of helping people. And so once Absolutely. you realize that and you can like hone in on that, things start to make a lot more sense. So that that totally tracks for also like your subject matter for your work. Yes. I can totally, I can connect <laughs> the dots now. It's really exciting. But let's go back. You're from small town, Wisconsin. Then you're like, okay, it's time to go. It's time to go off to school. Tell us about your kind of like college years, like time away as an adult for the first time. Yeah. Um, I went to school at the University of Wisconsin Stout in Menominee, which is also a very small town in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I chose that school because it was the best public university for the arts. So it was the only school I applied to. And uh, yeah, I got in. It was great. And then my sophomore year, I actually had like an identity crisis. And I realized that I'm queer, which I had no idea until I was like 19. Um, and then at that point, I was like, I need to understand myself and like find myself and see the world. So I, without ever having traveled before, like I never even went on a vacation in my life. Um, I dropped everything and I moved and I studied in Southern California um, Love for it. two trimesters. And it was the like foundation for my work, honestly. I did research and drawing, painting, printmaking. And that was really like what I needed to find myself and to like figure out like how to be an artist. Um, and then I went back to University of Wisconsin Stout to finish. Okay. So your formal degree. Okay. Tell us where you went to school in Southern California or where you studied at least. And then what is your formal discipline like on yeah. your degree? Okay. So I studied at Cal State University, San Bernardino nice. um, for two trimesters. And then I have my BFA 
uh, with a concentration in painting from the University of Wisconsin Stout. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I have my BFA in hmm, sculpture and video. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Which is hilarious <laughs> um, because I've told the story on the podcast too, but I was so intimidated by the painting professor. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> so intimidated by painting and drawing. And like, I can doodle. I wouldn't call myself mm-hmm. like an artist in that way. I mean, my family would probably say, and my friends would say otherwise, but I had a really hard time understanding like the values of like paint colors and mixing. But for some reason, like social sculpture was super interesting to me. Video yes. and new media was super interesting to me. Um, so interesting. Yeah. So I was right there with you on the fine arts, uh, grind. Um, but then there's all these things that they don't teach you in school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as you know, as an entrepreneur, and as we know with most people that are like commenting on our TikToks and stuff, like a lot of what you and I do is also self-taught. Um, so talk to us about some of the things that maybe, you know, like there wasn't a 101 or 301 class for that you actually do use in your daily life as an artist. Yeah, I think um, like e-commerce was like oh. a huge thing that I never learned yeah. in school and I had to figure out on my own. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a partner who develops websites. So he helped me out with like making my website look good. But I had to learn how to like just like share my work with the world, like the internet world, and then have a way to like funnel them to my website so that they could do something to support my work. And that was like so intimidating, but I figured it out. I got it down. Um, and that's something that I wish I would have learned in school, but I'm glad that like I figured it out on my own too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I talk about that a lot as well. Cause like my brand design and logo design work is pretty much self-taught. Like I took one design fundamentals class that had one two week unit of illustrator. And it was basically just like make a logo out of your name was one of the assignments. (laughs) It's like one of the beginning assignments. Um, But then after that, it was kind of just like trial and error and also just like biting off more than I could chew, which I think like a lot of creatives are like this. We're like, yeah, I'm just going to have to figure it out because I already told someone I can do X, Y, Z. Like I think about like custom commissions and stuff like that too. Right. We're just going to go with it and try, try our best. Um, But one of the things I struggled with as an artist in the fine arts program was like, number one, I struggled with calling myself an artist because it felt like that I had to make work that was personal. And I was way more interested in making work about everybody else than about stuff about me. I wonder if you have that feeling as well, but also like finding a style because I think when you're young and you're trying so many things, like it's hard to know. It's like trying on a bunch of different shoes. It's like a Cinderella thing kind of, where you're like, I'm trying on all these shoes and like, they're not like fitting right. And I just don't know if this is for me. So how did you kind of, when did you find your like artistic style that you have now? And how long did it take you like to get there? Or is it ever evolving? Maybe that's an open-ended one. Yeah, I feel like it's ever evolving. I think I always knew that painting was my medium. Um, It's something that I've always gravitated towards. And I mean, sculpture is also very important to me. And I learned in school, like how important that is to my process and my practice, because it makes me think critically about like how we use visual language. But I also feel like the painting style that I have now just kind of evolved from just doing it all the time. Like just Mm -hmm. like, and also like trusting myself and listening intuitively. Like, like right now I'm looking at this canvas that I have of like the hot Cheetos and this like flower vase in an envelope. And it's like, 
why, why did I feel like I needed to paint hot Cheetos? I have no idea. But for some reason I was like, I need to do it. I need to put this on a canvas. And, um, I feel like that's a lot of how my still life work is. It's like, it doesn't really make sense. I don't really know, but like, there are also like intuitive sentimental, like attachments that I have to these objects that can tell a story. Um, so yeah. I love that. I think that you have a really like good grip on kind of like our generation's like nostalgia, but kind of also like ephemeral stuff, like mm-hmm. things that you would otherwise regard as trash, right? Yes. Or so like an empty Cheetos bag or like a grocery bag or something that's like not picture perfect in like a tableau kind of way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just guessing all of this from, again, from seeing your, your work. Yeah, it resonates um, though, yeah. But I know you're getting ready for some shows. Did you have to write some creative briefs to to describe your work and what kind of terminology or art history positioning do you use to describe your body of work, your style? I kind of use a pretty general artist statement for most of these shows, but I basically just say that I'm a queer non-binary artist who's interested in pleasure beyond what capitalism allows. So mm. I'm interested in using these things that we are we consume and um, kind of flipping them and giving us a way to imagine a world beyond what we've been told is possible. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And in that centering like queer experience, inevitably because I am a queer person, but like, again, like the people who support me, like they don't have to be queer. They, mm-hmm. Like you don't have to be queer to support and enjoy my work, but by supporting my work, you are inevitably supporting queer joy in that process. Of course. Oh, joy is a great word for it. There's like yeah. joy, fun. It's really bright. Like the one that gives me such a giggle is like the still life with the oat milk because my yeah. sister's like <laughs> lactose. And so I gave her that one. I was like, here. She's like, oh yes. my gosh, it has oat milk because it's one of those things that like it's we know that this like there's so much like of that capitalism, consumerism, but also millenn- like very millennial, like very like these are the things that we currently care about. And then to like memorialize them in a piece of work is so fun. And to like put them on a pedestal is so fun. It's so fun. I have so much fun creating these paintings. Are you like an ideas all the time person or do you have to like get into a creative flow, creative state to like really let it all pour out? Yeah, I'm an ideas all the time person. I have like my (laughs) notes app is a disaster of just like Mm -hmm. random words and phrases. Um, but when it comes to like the painting process, I, I really listen to my body and I know each morning when I wake up, like, am I going to paint today? Yeah. Or like, no, I'm going to stay on my computer and like do inspiration stuff. So like, it's kind of an all the time flow. Mm -hmm. What's that split of your time? How much time are you actually like paintbrush to canvas versus doing admin and research and marketing and making TikToks and all the other stuff that comes with running a business? I feel like it changes depending on the season, which is really interesting. So like this winter, I'm only painting maybe 10 hours a week, right? Okay. But once it's warmer and like colorful outside, I find that I'm painting like 20 to 30 hours a week. So it it changes, but um, admin and like social media and that kind of work takes up probably honestly like 20 hours a week. Like it's a lot. Yeah. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of work to do by yourself. It's a lot of work to do with help. I totally, totally understand that. Um, It makes sense that you get more like lit up in summer to do your work. Mm -hmm. So fun and bright. Okay. I have to ask now. Okay. This is going to sound weird, but bang, Mary kill. 
Still, <laughs> still life portraits abstract. Okay. Uh, bang portraits. Okay. Mary still life. And then kill abstract. You got to kill abstract. Do you <laughs> yeah. do abstract work or more like conceptual non-subject based work or not so much? Not so much. I used to, uh, when okay. I was still like learning how to paint, uh, yeah. I was doing more abstracts, like painterly, but I feel like my still lifes and my portraits are still abstract in some sense where it, it, it's also about painting. Like it's also about the mark and the color and all that, but yeah, it's mostly representational. We talked about your still lifes. Talk to us about your portraiture because you did a really, really great series that I saw on TikTok maybe like a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. Has it really been two years? Um, (laughs) Where you were painting just like the most beautifully diverse people in a really like gorgeous, still your style, but a really like personable way. And I feel Mm -hmm. like you communicated their personalities, like without even knowing them, you can tell that like as the artist, you took the care to really like understand their vibe, their energy. Yeah, like, I can just tell that from like looking at the videos. So tell us about how that series kicked off. Who were some of the people that you got to paint and, and what you learned kind of in that process? Yeah, I started that project because I got funding from a grant through the Minnesota State Arts Board. And my goal was to create an archival zine full of paintings of my queer community here in Minnesota. So I found uh, it ended up being like nine people who I really wanted to connect with better, who I thought were leaders in our community, who inspired me in some way. And I interviewed each of them, got to know them on a personal level, and then I painted them. And uh, I painted them very large, very bright, vibrant, colorful, and in a way that I kind of intuitively thought would represent like their energy. So I'm glad to hear that that's, that was read mm-hmm. from you. But yeah, it was important to me to just like archive queerness here and now because historically queer people have been silenced, erased. It takes us a long time to find representation and visibility. And that's like what I want out of my work is to, is to create something where it's like, Oh, and you know, 2020 to 2023, like these are queer people in queer Mm. lives. Being a person that lived in Wisconsin and in California, because I'm from Southern California and sometimes I forget like how accepting like the culture is in Southern California of people Mm -hmm. who are like really loud with their personalities or really artistic in how they express themselves. And like, it's such the whole gender as a spectrum thing was never anything that I like really had to struggle with the concept of, because it's just kind of how I was raised um, to like be very welcoming and accepting of good people. Um, But how do you contrast the two places? Cause I've got to imagine it's maybe a little bit different in your, in a small hometown versus a big metropolitan city. Yeah. Um, I feel like California was amazing for me to experience at such a like crucial age. Like I was so young, I was 19. I didn't know. I mean, most people don't know who they are at that age. Um, so that was amazing for me because I, I met some amazing queer elders and queer peers who like modeled for me what queerness is and like how expansive and beautiful it is which I had never seen in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I mean, growing up, I always assumed and thought that I was straight because being queer wasn't an option. Like it just wasn't, I I had one like queer best friend when I was in high school, but it was like so isolated. And so like, you just don't see it. So it's like, it's not real, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's also a lot of like homophobia 
and transphobia, I mean, everywhere, but especially in small rural Wisconsin, even compared to now I live in Minnesota and it's way better than how it was when I was living in Wisconsin. It's way more accepting. And yeah, there are always people who are, you know, terrible, but it's easier to ignore them here, I think. And when I go visit my, my small hometown, it's like a reminder of like, just how much of a bubble it was of like cis straight whiteness. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And that was hard. That was hard to grow up in. So I am so grateful to, to California. And I also like try to visit every year to just like be in LA and like be in that space. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot different for sure. So interesting. And interesting too, that you've like now, like we're saying with these portraits, memorialize them in a way that's like, is that marking of time and progress, but also like, we hope that that becomes just more ubiquitous and more everywhere all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You're doing a great series on your TikTok right now about controversial art. Would you consider your work to be controversial? Do you think it ruffles people up? Oh yeah. (laughs) Really? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Tell us about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I feel like I've always made work that makes a certain demographic of people uncomfortable And I mean, even before I was making very visibly queer work, I was making work about vulvas and like my experience with my body. Like I've always been interested in like conversations that I think are important to have that aren't really had. Um, But yeah, I feel like it's just, there are so many people who do not understand queerness because they don't know anybody who is queer. And like, especially in like middle America and sometimes, you know, just like seeing a queer artist can open up something in their minds where it's like a new, new idea about what queerness really is. Mm -hmm. But yeah. You've got a great video of like one of my favorites of art history as well. Judy Chicago dinner party. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. For anyone who's <laughs> not seen that piece, it's so good. Like I remember sitting in our history class in high school and seeing it again in college and being like, this lady knew what she was doing. Like she yeah. really knew how to like get them in a way that nobody had really pushed those boundaries before. And like, I love right. just the whole energy of that piece is so good. But for someone who hasn't seen it, can you describe it a little bit to us? I know this is an audio platform and for people who are yeah. visual people, it's just so funny that to even do a podcast, but Nonetheless, explain to the people Judy Chicago in a nutshell. Yeah, so Judy Chicago created this work that was so important in, in the time frame um, called The Dinner Party. And it was 39 ceramic vulvic representations, so plates, of um, important women throughout history. And it was this like triangle table, and the triangle represents the uterus. And it was like $250,000 to complete. And it was this like beautiful display. And then it was actually debated in Congress for over an hour because Congress thought it was pornographic because they were vulvas and they didn't want it to be shown publicly, which is wild. wild. Yeah, absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. And also one of these 1970s, right, is right about Mm -hmm. when this is happening. It's like right at this turn of like women's liberation as well. So like you have kind of this like sexual revolution, women's liberation, like burning of the bras, like all of that stuff. I come from a big family of girls and I'm the oldest. And so I'm always like, yeah, yes, (laughs) you know know what I mean? Yes. Um, So I love to go back into like those deep pockets of art history and like find those 
those inspiration pieces. Do you have other artists that you flock to for like visual, just, just inspiration in general? Yeah. A big one for me is Tracy Emin. Oh, I'm not familiar. Tracy Emin. It's more conceptual inspiration, honestly, than visual, but she is a very important artist who like got pretty well known in the eighties. And, um, a lot of her, her work is so personal. And I feel like that's really inspirational to me because like, she is so raw and like, she puts it all out there. There's this one piece that she did called the tent and it's, it's also called, there's like two titles. So it's the tent and everyone I've ever slept with. And she decorated the tent with names of everyone that she's ever slept with, but it doesn't have to be sexual. Like it's also people that she just like sure. next to and slept next to. And then she also has a piece called My Bed, which I absolutely love, which also changed, I think, how people view art in a gallery setting. But she placed her bed, her messy, disgusting, trash-ridden on the side of the bed. She set that all up in in a gallery. And then that was the piece. I love that. I love the social space experiment. Like, I love Mm -hmm. Marina Abramovic. I love... Bruce Nauman for a lot of his stuff, more architectural, a little less subject based, um, but similar kind of, there was actually, you know, when you talk about like coming to college and being in California, I'm wondering if you went to this show, did you ever make it down to San Diego to like go to some of the museums? No, not the museums. <gasps> okay. Yeah. So in like 20, it must've been 2012 or 2013. It's like one of the first field trips that my art class went on to the museum and MCASD, which is the one in La Jolla, was doing 1970s California minimalism as a show. Mm. And I was like, Pfft. yeah, because it was all about creating like big light pieces. This is my first exposure to like James Terrell mm-hmm. and Olafur Eliasson and talk about like color and like just yes. bathing in color. And I absolutely loved it. And there's so interesting that like it kind of those things kind of get sprinkled. They like kind of come back up for you every once in a while, at least Mm -hmm. for me, where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot. I forgot that I loved that so much. And that like made such a big impact. Um, I feel like with your work, too, I get kind of like a David Hockney vibe. I love David Hockney. Okay. (laughs) Yes. We love like a Palm Desert pool scene moment. Also his queerness as well. Yes, absolutely. Which is very documented and his work in that way. And um, I'm all about it. I love all that stuff. For sure. Yeah, me too. I don't know where I was going with this whole question. (laughs) Other than (laughs) art history. Totally. Totally. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love talking art history with people that also love art history because I think it's something that it's not as much used in my day to day with my work because my clients are like, what? But when I bring something up to be like, Oh, we're going to pull from like, I've got this project right now and we're going to do, um, she's a book consultant in New York city. And she wants to do kind of this like classic New Yorker illustration vibe. And it's going to be so fun. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have so much fun on this whole rabbit hole of like the illustrators of like, um, like an Alice in Wonderland meets like Madeline meets like Bevelman's martini bar with just kind of like fun, really sketchy, almost like a Kate Spade style, but bright and fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. Oh, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. You'll see lots of it. You'll see lots of it for sure. Um, let's kind of jump around here. You, did say that also on social media 
that a lot of being an artist and putting yourself out there in that way can be really, really personal. And as a designer as well, sometimes you'll post something and people will be like, mm, I don't like it. Or like, this should have been like that. Or you get comments from an audience that you weren't necessarily soliciting. So yeah. talk about how you protect your space on social media, especially as an artist that makes work that is personal and that does deal with issues that might make other people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, for one, I do not accept criticism from people who I wouldn't take advice from. Ooh, that is like, like that one. Mm-hmm. Number one rule. Uh, so I don't let it get to me. I don't take it personally unless it's somebody that I really look up to and want advice from. And then I also have become a huge fan of the block button on TikTok, Same. especially. I will block people so fast if I think that they are like so like being annoying or rude or just like not willing to have an actual conversation. Um, I'm protecting my space when I use the block button for sure. Absolutely. And I I always go back to the idea of like your behavior on social media, you're teaching people how to treat you. So if you Mm -hmm. allow yourself to get like imposter syndrome or to get dragged down into like a petty fight about whether Canva is ruining graphic designers or not, which is like so funny that people have like such a strong opinion about tools. Like this is at the end of the day, this is a tool. (laughs) Like this is not, the tool does not make the art, the craftsperson. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, but I'm a big fan of blocking as well and protecting your peace and kind of saying like, nope, that's my limit and boundary. That's I'm not going to step over that one. And this isn't this isn't the space for you. If you're going to be disrespectful or you're going to be not not coming at it from like an inquisitive way. But what other like social media behaviors like really kind of grind your gears or like get under your skin where you're like, why are people this way? <laughs> yeah, um, I think. A big one is like mansplaining. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Like, like the assumption that I don't already know, like something, like being talked to in a way where I can feel the tone is like I don't know something. Right. That's that's frustrating. Do you feel that that comes from other artists, or does that come from just consumers of of social media? Uh, I think it comes from just consumers of social media, but mostly men. <laughs> yeah. 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 True. 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 Um, we are asking everyone this question on the podcast this year because also it's a TikTok trend and I love TikTok. So the question is what's in and what's out for 2023. So what are the things you're loving and what are the things you're going to be like, yeah, no, thanks. I never need to do that again. Yeah. Ins would be authenticity, Mm -hmm. vulnerability, embracing the cringe, like, mm, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be cringe. It's fine. And then um, also like having fun, like, yeah, like more pleasure, more fun. I want to like center that more this year, especially. And then what's out is um, being a hermit and being oh. unaccessible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I am done like... I'm really bad at texting people back or like keeping like a connection, like staying connected with people that I really value. So I'm done ignoring the texts. It's that's out. We gotta, we gotta try harder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because the energy that you put out is also the energy you get back in friendships yeah. in business in relationships, all of that. Um, I will tell you the biggest hack is hosting dinner parties. Yeah. I need that in my life. You that got is to like, 
a major goal for like a, an art project is to host dinner parties with people that I love and like decorate the table and like mm-hmm. have good music and good food and good cocktails. And then like document the small moments and then paint those as still lifes. Oh my God. A dream. Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing something with like wine stains and like lots of used cutlery in your future for sure. But I've been yes. doing this for like, since I moved into this apartment. So July, 2021, I'm in oh a one God. bedroom. I have a 10 foot table and I love to cook. Like cooking totally gets me out of being on screens yeah, And it's something that I can totally be immersed in doing it for like six, seven hours. No problem. Like Love absolutely that. in it. So same thing. I've been hosting dinner parties for my friends in my one bedroom. And I will tell you one of the best things that we've done is we have like, I have, I bought a table runner from Target. And this is actually a tradition that we started in my family with our Thanksgiving tablecloth is you give everybody a Sharpie and you have them sign it. Oh, and then cute. that becomes your like long guest book. Yeah. So now I have the runner with all the signatures on it and people now are like getting funnier and funnier and like, like a yearbook basically. Yeah. 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 But the funniest thing is having my friends, you know, people like bring a plus one or they'll bring their friend that's visiting from out of town or whatever. And we were reading them all the other night and somebody, it's one of them said like best cannolis I've ever had Mark. And we're like, who the fuck is Mark? (laughs) None of us could figure out who Mark is. We're like, who like we had to go oh back and we're like okay so that was the italian night that was september who was here who brought someone <laughs> named mark like it was so funny to get That's everybody so to go funny. all the way back so it would definitely recommend some kind of like guest book activity thing even Love if it's that. people that like you don't see that often it's just such a yeah. fun like little memento yeah it's a really just like silly thing do you have people bring a dish too to pass okay no because i'm a control freak And I love a theme. (laughs) I love a theme and I love to cook things I've never made before because it's like, to me, it's like a mental challenge. So I will pick a theme and then I will plan the whole menu, shop everything, cook everything. And then because I work for myself, I can do it. We usually host them on Tuesdays. Like I can take a whole Tuesday off work and cook. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the last one we did was like soup salad sandwiches, which Mm -hmm. is delicious. Um, And then we've done like Indian food, Thai food, Italian, Greek, uh, baked potato. That one's a hit. Ooh, like a baked potato great night. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> Super fun. But people usually just like bring a glass of wine or a bottle of wine or whatever. And the thing is, it's the hackiest way to see as many people as you want in one go. Because yeah. realistically, like, yeah, it's a lot of groceries. It's a lot of time. But like, I would spend that much time and money going to get dinner with all those people individually. Exactly. And I love the social experiment of just mashing all these people together in one place, (laughs) (laughs) especially with like opposing political views or like different like work friends versus like I've reconnected with friends from kindergarten, literally kindergarten Mm -hmm. and brought them in the mix. And like, then they're bringing their fiancés and like, now I'm getting to know them. We're like, I wouldn't have crossed paths with those people otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's such a feel good feeling, especially when everybody's like out of here by like 10, 10 30. Yes. (laughs) And then you get your time back, you know, (laughs) no, you're going to crush it. You're going to crush it. And your dinner parties, you want to host them at your gallery, correct? My studio, my studio. Studio, That's what I meant. I have this like, it's like an eight foot table, but it'll do. Perfect. Perfect. Tell us about your studio. This is a new thing or is this the same studio you've had for a while? Same studio I've had for three years now. Um, It's in Red Wing, Minnesota at the Anderson Center, which is a great nonprofit organization centered on the arts here in Minnesota. 
but I have this like old historic space with big windows and beautiful lighting. And this was actually like the old, like science lab for AP Anderson, who this place is named after. Oh my gosh. He was like a food scientist and a very creative person. So I'm like in his old space, which is like fun and cool. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. That's the thing that we don't have out in California is like, we don't really have a ton of buildings that have a lot of history to them Mm -hmm. because everything is so new. Um, But that is cool to kind of pick up on. I think that's why I like traveling so much. And like, I like being in really old places because you do kind of get that energy from like, you just can feel that people have been there and had conversations and done things. And And like important work has been done in the space. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Well, this was amazing for anyone who has followed you, love seeing your work and they're just getting started. Like, like imagine you at 19 and maybe they're following you on TikTok now. How would you recommend or what advice could you give them as they're just starting their trajectory of their like artist career? I would say find your joy, find your purpose, and stay ambitious. Mm. Ooh, I like all of those. That's like a good yeah. like year affirmation kind of vibe. Yeah. I like all You're not of too those. ambitious. You're just ambitious enough. Like there's no no such thing as too ambitious in my mind. Ooh, ooh, this was a good way to end it. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea. Well, where can everyone find, follow, connect with you, buy your work, commission you for something? I mean, just support you as a queer artist out in the world. Yeah, you can find me at Lindsay Cherrick Waller on Instagram and TikTok. And you can find my work on my website, lindsaycherrick.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It was so yeah. good to finally connect and let everybody yes, in it was on amazing. it. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time.